Welcome to my podcast where I talk about all things related to money, mindset, finance, business, and investing. My name is Royston Kambabachi, qualified accountant with over 30 years experience in finance and business. Coming from a very humble background, I have continuously challenged the assumptions and the expectations of what I'm capable of achieving for myself and others. Over the years, I've helped hundreds of entrepreneurs to decipher finance and to make more money and to run highly successful businesses. On this podcast, I will share with you tips, strategies, techniques, and tools that you can use to make more money, manage money better, and to maximize your success. All right, so welcome to the next episode of the Financial Intelligence Mindset Podcast. And we try to bring you our guests from different backgrounds, different countries. And today we've got a young man, well, not so young, but... (laughs) From, uh, I want to. I want to be called young. <laughs> Originally from uh, Ohio, uh, currently in Southwest uh, Michigan. I think his story uh, is one of kind of having a rich dad, poor dad scenario, whereby his uncle was the more entrepreneurial one, and his father was more like you know traditional. Um, you know, go to school, get an education, get a job. But I think he always wanted himself to uh, become entrepreneurial, and today. He's a serial entrepreneur, has multiple businesses. Of course, he will tell us about that. So welcome to Jack Gibson. So Jack, what, what I want you to do is just start by just telling us a bit of your backstory. You know what I mean? What was it like growing up? And um, and when did you sort of got the entrepreneurial flair? Should I say that? Yeah, you know, I was partly, uh, I, I say I was partly city boy and I was partly farm boy. My mother um, grew up on a farm in Ohio, and so she raised me most of the time. I was at the farm um, at her parents, my grandparents' house. And so she really drilled into me the Midwestern hard work ethic. And she had all these incredible words of wisdom of, you know, make hay while the sun shines and uh, many hands make light work. So she taught me entrepreneurialism just through um, the work ethic that she taught me. So um, my parents were amazing uh, professionals and their motto was go to school, get good grades, work your way up through a, a job. Um, so I got to see that kind of play out for them. They did fine. They, we always had, you know, we, we didn't lack. Um, they were always able to figure out how to create for us whatever we wanted so we were kind of spoiled goods right but um, they never really had any surplus and they were never investors and they didn't have uh, you know they really weren't ever able to build multiple streams of income or passive income or anything like that on the flip side of that you know being around my uncle who did not have any children of his own um, he was a wealthy entrepreneur. He had three businesses, a uh, wealthy uh, farmer. He ended up passing away with you know a few million dollars. And I got to see the difference with the way that he kind of approached things as an entrepreneur. And I decided from a young age, I wanted to be like the rich dad, right? <laughs> so yeah, um, he was an amazing guy. And he he taught me a, a lot about, you know, being able to manage multiple, you know, ventures. So here I am, I'm on my third business now with the company Indestructible Wealth. So uh, as far as business starting for me at 19, I was going to school, I was really getting kind of burnt out with the go to school, study hard. And it didn't seem like I was fulfilled or happy. Another student um, 
hit me up and pitched me on a direct sales and marketing business opportunity. First, I'm like, nah, not for me. But then, you know, when I really checked into it, um, it was for me. And so I started that very part time from my college dorm. I grew that to be, uh, you know, a very profitable business. And, uh, you know, still to this day, 24 years later, um, that the business produces cash flow. And it's been great. And then about five years ago, I got started into real estate. You know, I, as I was telling you before we hit the record button, I had some stock market setbacks. Um, I had one company that I was pretty invested in, a very, what I call a greedy hedge fund uh, manager came after our stock, shorted it intentionally to, uh, and then intentionally went on a smear campaign and it dropped my stock price by half overnight. And then another company I was invested in, InterOil, when oil prices crashed, even though it wasn't an oil stock, it was a a natural gas stock, um, it went down by 50%. So when those two events happened right around the same time, that's about 2014, that's when I said, there's got to be a better way to invest safely and consistently and not be on this huge, you know, perpetual roller coaster ride. I didn't want to ride it for the rest of my life. So I, I just dove into real estate. I listened to every podcast I could get a hold of, downloaded books, went to seminars. I became a student. I found mentors. I went on property tours with, you know, some wealthy real estate investors that I that I knew. And I, I learned, and then I started buying up single family properties through a turnkey provider and I was getting really fantastic returns. So I started referring friends, family, neighbors, coworkers, and I stumbled into selling 5 million in cash, you know, my very first year and, um, ended up making, uh, you know, some pretty significant profits. So, uh, from a business, I really didn't intend to, to start. Right. So that was uh, high return real estate. That's how that company got started. And, and we still have that company going strong right now today. And then, uh, recently Roy, my, um, my kind of, I've been missing fulfillment in my life, you know, success. Yeah. We've had a lot of success. Um, you know, we have, a. Uh, incredible lifestyle due to the uh, the businesses that I've started and the investments that that I've made. Some, not all have bombed. Some have really been fruitful. So <laughs> I don't want to say that everything I touch, uh, you know, uh, falls apart. But we've been able to live this life to where I, I think now it's time to pass on that success to the younger generation. So the last year with the COVID lockdowns. It's really allowed me to slow down and contemplate and think about like, what's the next stage of my life look like? What does the next decade look like? What is it that brings me the most happiness and fulfillment? And I looked over the last 20 years and I'm like, man, the one thing that stands out is when I mentor a young, hungry, motivated person, um, typically they're males, but not always. Um, I, that's when I feel the happiest, most excited about life. That's when I'm waking up in the morning and I can't wait to go to work. So I said, I need to do that on a much bigger scale. And I want to do that and a digital, build a digital brand, a digital platform. So um, that was about six months ago where Indestructible Wealth was finally born. So that's where we're at today. 
Wow, wow, wow. Man, it's an incredible, incredible story. And, uh, you know, listening to you, I was like, wow, you've done so much. And I'm so privileged that you, you know, you come onto the podcast and you're willing to share. But well, more importantly, I think that, that you are willing uh, to give back. And I think, uh, like, you said something quite key there, because uh, I think Tony Robbins talked about this, you know, success without fulfillment is not success, right? Um, I agree. Yeah, yeah, one of the first questions I want to ask you, right, if you... If you think back to your teenage life, and if you had a young man now who's a teenager, um, and you were going to advise him about, you know, yeah, how do you get into business? How do you start a business? How do you take risks? I mean, how would you advise either your younger self or you advise a young person who might be looking to, maybe they haven't got in, uh, plenty of resources. Maybe they haven't got the exact background like you. Uh, in terms of, uh, although you were not necessarily wealthy per se, but you had parents that provided for you. Maybe someone who has no resources right now, all they have is access to the internet and they want to start mm -hmm. to go into investing or doing a business. How would you advise them to go about doing that? Well, just to say the fact that I didn't have any real resources when I first started either. I mean, I actually sold my CD collection. I know that kind of dates me a bit. I'm <laughs> only 43. So, wow, wow. but, um, I sold my CD collection, uh, to raise the, you know, a little bit of capital to be able to run some marketing in local newspapers. So the, the real resources are not your capital, but your resourcefulness. Mm -hmm. There's, there is, um, it can always be a shortage of resources, but there's never a shortage of resourcefulness. So I think that anybody who has drive, they have energy, they have passion, they really understand that the fundamental premise behind a successful business is making somebody else's life better through helping them solve a problem that they have. If you can take the, um, kind of the, the, the focus and the energy off your own problems, because we all have problems. We will always have our own problems and nobody cares at all about our problems. What they want to know is how can you help them solve a problem? So if you can identify a problem that people are experiencing in the marketplace that you're passionate about helping them to solve, then you can figure out you know, from there, how to go about doing that with, you know, you could have limit, very limited resources. I can tell you this, you know, Roy, the, there, there's always a way to find the, the capital and the resources. If you have a great idea, if you have a passion, if you have the energy and you have the perseverance to follow it through, you'll be able to attract the things and the people that you need to, to make it happen. I tell people all the time, because I have people ask me, what should I invest into if I say I have $2,000 or if I have $10,000? Like, like, what should I buy? Cryptocurrency, stocks, you know, can I get into real estate, right? What, what should I buy? And I'm always like, nothing, <laughs> none of the above. That money should go into you. Yes. You're your best investment. Go hire a coach take a course online. Um, there's more free content though available online than in the past thousands and thousands of years of human history. 
that if you seek it, it's all available you know, right online for free. Now, if you really want the good stuff and the sequential implementation stuff, you got to pay somebody to help you to implement it. But you can learn so much about the niche or the specific business or problem that you want to solve. So that's the first step is, you know, th those kind of things is, is investing into yourself first. That's the, the most, you'll get a hundred X return on that. I mean, I mean, I so much agree with you actually, um, that the best investment that I think, um, I think Warren Buffett says this, and even though he's a super multi billionaire, the best investment that you can make is in yourself. I mean, I mean, I actually preach just all the time because I myself have, has invested hundreds of thousands, um, into my own education. You know, in fact, we were speaking earlier. I'm, I'm from Grenada, and where I'm currently am right now. I left here. I went to the UK on a loan, on, on a student loan to study accountancy. I qualified. Mm -hmm. You know, um, in the last three years, I invested in you know online education. I how to do uh, webinars, how to uh, build um, you know landing pages, how to do everything, even how to do even podcasting. I did a course on how to do podcasting. You know what I mean? Yeah, I wanted because I wanted to do, to do podcasting, right? Me, um, me too. And you know, so you have to invest in yourself, invest in the know-how, and then then it's easy to actually uh, do it. Now, I, I, I want to pick your brain further to say that um, let's say the person was resourceful and started looking online. Based on your experience, how can someone who has no money and have invested in themselves? raise some money? I mean, what are some of the innovative ways to raise some capital that maybe you have used in, the, in your, your own self, you know, to kick off a business? Yeah. So that's no, that's a great question. I mean, there's a myriad of ways, right? There's credit cards, which are certainly I've seen people use those uh, viably <laughs> a little bit more risky <laughs> in yeah. terms of you know, it's unsecured, um, high interest debt, which is my least form of debt, uh, favorite or least favorite form of debt. In fact, I hate it. Um, but if it's used to, you know, start a business, you know, I think that's a little bit different, but it also needs to be used responsibly because, you know, you still, if you use it to invest in a business, your name is still attached to it. So of course, and, yes. And your name to me, is the most important thing asset that you'll ever own. So that's one option, right? I mean, you can always go to a bank and try to get a loan, but usually they want to secure that loan against your other assets. So if you don't have other assets to secure it against, you know, that's, that's challenging too. Um, certainly, you know, you can go to other, use OPM, right? Other people's money and uh, pitch uh, investors on loaning you money or investing capital into your business. I have, I'm an investor. I do invest into private businesses. I don't do it a lot yet, but I have been hit up. And a lot of times I say no, but sometimes they really show me something where I believe in them and I invest into them. And I do expect a much higher rate of return on that money for the risk that I'm taking as well. So that's part of the game. So, you know, those are some of the top ways I really like uh, honestly, the way I've built my businesses is mostly except real estate. I did have to use OPM, you know, to purchase properties because we were really selling a lot. So we needed a million dollar line of credit. But I mean, initially, all three of my companies, they've been self-funded. So I simply take the sweat hustle 
you know, kind of like the, uh, the hard work and elbow grease and just let it rip and make sales. And then I take this profit from those initial sales. And then I use that to reinvest back into the company to expand it. That's worked for me all three times. And I'll probably, if I start a fourth, I'll do the same thing. I'll just internally fund it. And then as it goes and it does grow sales and shows profitability, I might then go, if I want to accelerate it, maybe I'll go and, you know, get OPM. I love it. I love it. So yeah, that, I mean, that makes sense. Of course, you know, OPM bank loan, uh, investors, obviously investors should be using OPM anyway, or you can say like bootstrap, right. You know, take it from your own, um, you know, savings or your own sweat. Now yeah. I want to get into a little bit of the, what is what I call an investor mindset, um, from your perspective or a risk mindset. Cause if you take, if you go back to your uncle versus your dad, or maybe even you yourself, um, you, you, you might know someone who has a bit of cash, but doesn't invest someone who has no cash, but raises cash to invest. What do you think, um, you know, separates these two people from a mindset perspective? I mean, what do you think kind of, uh, is the kind of, I don't know, the, the, the mindset of an investor. I mean, what do you think that someone says, you know what happened? I'm willing to take risk. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I think that it's all about calculated risks. So for me, I'm consistently making, you know, bets where they could always go south and, and a lot of them have, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, uh, there's been times where I've lost money in all three businesses when I got started, like I was not in the profits mode. So that, that was a risk that I just kept staying after it and kept investing into them because I believed in what I was doing and I believed in myself. Yeah. Um, so the way I look at it is that you want to gradually accelerate the risks that you're willing to take. So let me, let me explain. So I have a five stage process to what I believe is a strategic way to build wealth. And I teach this through my indestructible wealth platform on my podcast. I walk people through this. This is to me, it's, it's a way to, to move the needle on your net worth without crushing yourself and having to start over constantly. So first stage is you invest into yourself as we already talked about. The second stage then is investing into your own business. That's bootstrapping your own business. Keep pouring money back into it to, to accelerate and then hyperdrive the growth. The goal is to drive so much uh, business that you're creating excess cash flow. Then when that doesn't make sense to invest that excess cash flow into your own business, that's when you start buying cash flow producing assets. Things like primarily real estate and different forms of real estate. I have various forms of real estate. I have single family rentals. I have self storage syndication, which is my favorite. I have uh, mortgage, kind of like mortgage back notes around the bank to you know other people. So those are private money loans to other people where I'm charging interest rate or getting a percentage of profits. Um, even mining cryptocurrency that creates, that's an alternative thing, but I've just started, but I'm creating cash flow every day from, from, um, from that. So once I have stage three, I have excess cash flow coming in that, um, and my principal is protected because you always got to pr protect your initial principal. Most people don't protect it. They risk it too much. They, for example, buying 
these stupid meme bets, you know, uh, AMC, GameStop, Dogecoin. Yeah. That that's to me that's highly risky, highly speculative, and you're you can do that, but I think the place for that is stage four, which is where you take the cash flow from stages one, two, and three. You've got a solid base. And now let's have some fun. Let's swing for the fences. Let's <laughs> like get risk. Let's get risky. Now we can get risky because if stage four investments don't work out, your lifestyle isn't affected. You're not starting over. You never risked your principal capital. You just invested the cash flow that's coming in. You put that into cryptocurrency. You put that into if you want to do your gambling, you know, on the beam bets, great. If you want to do, you know, riskier but more hyper growth tech stocks, for instance, those are where stage four, I think, is more appropriate. And so that's it's an accelerated risk type management plan where you start off. And you do the safe thing, which is you, right? And then the next risky thing is the business and then there and then and stage three and stage four, if that makes sense. Okay, that makes sense. I believe you said it was a five-stage process, you said? Yeah, stage five is you uh, <laughs> you re- re- repeat stages one through four. Uh, oh, okay, 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 super I got wealthy, it. right? I got um, it, I got it, I got it. But the main part of stage five, honestly, is is real, real significant philanthropy. And this is real significant fulfillment. Now, I always give a little like asterisk, right? Where you say, see the note below. You don't need to wait to stage five to become a philanthropist. Philanthropy is a way of life. It's not a place at which you arrive with a certain lump sum of money. Most people think philanthropy, they think of, you know, the wealthy, you know, super wealthy, mega wealthy people. I'm a philanthropist because I take 10% of all of my earnings and I give that away to charitable causes. It could go to our church, a portion does. It could go to um, Young Life, which is a program here in the States to support high school students to help give them more uh, good role models. It could be to feed the hungry, which we've done. It could be to help people get out of sexual slavery which I've made significant donations to that. So it could be a variety of those things, but stage five, um, you're really able to do it in a very big way because like the money just keeps, you know, replenishing in, in huge amounts. Yeah. I really like the model that you actually talked about, you know, in terms of like, you know, uh, gradually accelerating your risk. Uh, I mean, it's a good one, you know, I mean, I always uh, talk to people about the risk, you know, um, understanding your expected return, you know, um, you know, obviously your risk increases depending on the kind of return that you want, right? The more, I mean, it's called the risk return theory. The more return you think you want, the higher you have to take the risk, you know what I mean? So to some extent, I like your model a lot because what you're saying is that no, but don't just risk based on expected return, but risk the cash flow that you've generated from your business. You always preserve the capital, and you know it's it it is actually the model that. So I worked in financial services for many many years, and it's a model that actually that insurance companies use and banks use because they have to have a certain amount of capital, right? Sure. Yeah, they have to have a certain amount of um you know buffer, you know um like in case of like the worst case scenario, they have to be able to withstand that. 
and that is called a capital. But anything in excess of that, they can risk it. Because even, sure. even if they risk excess of the capital and they have a really bad scenario, they already have the capital to withstand the bad scenario. You know what I'm saying? Because, Absolutely. Because you cannot risk the capital. Does it make sense? Yeah. The, 100%. The, the capital is there to, 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 to allow you to risk, allow you to take risk. You know? I think too many people, they risk their early capital. I did the same thing. Okay. So I'm not a hypocrite. Yeah. I'm just trying to tell the younger guy who's, you know, starting to make some money and create some excess cash flow, you know, don't be me because it set me back a lot. I mean, I'd be, I'd be a lot further ahead than where I'm at today. I'm sure my first $50,000 that I saved up going through working my butt off through college, you know, all the other kids were, were partying all the time and playing video games and all the things that college kids do. And I'm working like crazy in addition to my studies. And I, and I banked all of that money. And then I put it into the 2000, I put it into tech stocks. Well, you know, for those of us that were around, we remember the 2000.com bubble burst, <laughs> my bubble got burst, you know, yeah. I lost half the money. And then I had to sell out because, uh, I was in not a good investor and I needed that money to live off of. So then, you know, I, that set me back a long time. I never really got back into the investing game for, for multiple years. So both because of finances and emotionally, I couldn't handle losing money like that again. So now if you look at like, if I, if I were to lose $25,000, it's like, doesn't matter at all. Like I'm, I'd be more upset if I shank a golf shot into the water because like that bothers me more. <laughs> This is yeah, because yeah. my, my ability to be able to withstand the ups and downs financially, my emotional intelligence has been, you know, driven up over the period of time I lost in the recent crypto cor uh, correction, my account dropped 300 grand. I wasn't in a bad mood. My wife would have not known it. Had I told her like a decade ago, 20 years ago, that, that happens, you know, I'm, I'm depressed, probably you know, put me on medication, right? <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I understand. I understand. And basically what you're saying is that um going back to your strategy, once you start to generate cash flow from um uh, something called MS MSOI, multiple streams of income, which you do, you have this cash flow coming in. You're because you are risking your cash flow, your risk tolerance becomes much higher. Yeah. You know? If it, yeah. if it doesn't work out, the cash flow is replenished within a year and I fire away once more. And yeah. here's the thing. I did not risk my lifestyle. I say never risk your current lifestyle to try to get a better one. Yeah, that it makes doesn't sense, yeah. ever, it does not ever work out for some reason or other. The universe thwarts those plans and says, you're not ready yet. You need to learn principles and fundamentals and you need to learn how to be, become a good investor before I'm going to bless you and multiply you. Yeah, I, I love it. I love it. Cool, cool. So let's move on to something that I think you're already passionate about and something that you got into, which is real estate, right? Um, and you, I guess that you have, <laughs> you have multiple real estate strategies. Yeah. Um, I mean, first up, would you say that for someone to be wealthy, um, they should invest in real estate? Well, we have to look at this. 
more millionaires have been created in real estate than any other asset class. There's a reason why it's it's the ideal investment. Now, I have a love hate relationship with real estate because uh, you know there's a lot of things that have gone wrong for me in my real estate investing career, and I you know I'm learning and getting better. And there's just a lot of problems. You have tenants, toilets, and trash. You can't yeah. escape that if you're in residential real estate, which is where most people need to start just due to, you know, the, um, the cost of entry. And, you know, I have a self storage syndication fund that I put together. That's my favorite investment, but you have to be accredited. You know, you need to be worth a million dollars or make over, um, $250,000 single or $350,000 as a jointly as a couple that's tough to get into. Right. So, that then you got to start small and with single families. That's where I started. And it's not the easiest game to play. You know, it's not a passive game either. There's tenants, toilets, and trash that make it so it's not a uh, passive experience. So I love real estate. I, it's it has grown my wealth. It has caused a lot of headaches and anxiety as well. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, what are some? Yeah. So, what are some of the? Uh, sorry to cut you, but what, what are some of the sort of strategies that you can share for someone to get into real estate without having a lot of money? I mean, we are, we obviously talking about leveraging other people's money, etc. But I'm talking about specifically on some of the real estate strategies that you might know might work. Let's say in America or potentially in Europe. What, what are some of the strategies that you have used that you can share with us? That, that you know, I mean, that can help someone. Yeah. You know, I told, I posted this on LinkedIn recently, and I said, basically, if you're new to real estate and you want to get started, here's what I would recommend that you do. Find a, you know, a, a small, very small single family home, hopefully, you know, preferably a three bed, because you're going to get always going to have rental demand for that. Yeah, but try to keep the footprint small. So if anything goes wrong in terms of the capex, it's the capital expenditures, like the big items, the roof, yeah, 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 the for the foundation, right? All your listeners are probably aware of what that means. Then you're not going to get crushed. And the same thing, I said, take on a light remodel project so you can start to force, learn how to force equity, force valuations up. Don't take on a beat up dilapidated project that's going to cost, you know, 30, 40,000 in rehab, you'll go over budget, you'll make mistakes, you'll miss things, you could get screwed by your contractor. Um, all, all sorts of things can and will go wrong. But if you take on a light remodel, where you're remodeling a kitchen, you know, you're improving the landscaping, you're not doing the huge heavy lifting, then you can force some value up on that property. Uh, but you won't, you know, you won't get killed or, or hurt too bad. And then just rent it out and, um, you know, pull your money back out with a bank leverage through a refinance or, you know, you, those are types of properties too, where you could purchase them up front with a 20, you know, 20%, 25% down and get um, a, you know, bank to finance it because it's not dilapidated, right? A bank's not going to finance a heavy construction project. So that's one way. The other way is you know, I'm really starting to like, which is crowdfunding. So this is where, you know, you can get into real estate for even a few thousand dollars and you just own a small fractionalized piece of that property. I was just listening to a podcast. I'm going to actually have the, um, have them on my show, uh, very soon. 
where they've created a way to invest into properties in the U.S. through uh, through the blockchain. So essentially, utilizing cryptocurrency and all the technology to where you can fractionally invest as little as fifty dollars, and then get a piece of the rent based on how much you put in. You get a piece of the cash flow and equity that proportionally to what you put in. I think that's incredible as to where technology is going to be able to take us and allow opening up the floodgates for more people to be able to get, you know, involved and and get a piece of real estate ownership without, you know, necessarily having to go through the bank loan process or put up 50, a hundred, $200,000 in cash to get involved. So I think that's, to me, that's the next frontier that I would recommend that people start really looking into. Yeah, well, I agree. I mean, I think uh, on the crowdfunding path, certainly, but I think crowdfunding is an opportunity for you to mm-hmm. buy into something with a group of people that you yourself would never have had a chance to actually buy into. Yeah. Um, so that's, that, that, that is really, really, really good. All right. Yeah. Um, I, I can still see- am adamant, though, like if you only have a small amount of money, uh, you could take a piece of that and do that, but I really think you're going to get so much better returns if you just take courses, hire coaches. Look, I'm 43 and I'm trying to build this brand and I want to be, I know that there's a TikTok actually has some people who are very successful coaching financial, you know, doing financial coaching very, and that I want to reach that younger demographic. I've got to learn how to do TikTok. It's something I thought never in the history of my life would I ever get on TikTok because I thought, oh, this is all about dancing and I don't dance. The things just, the my body parts just don't move together in a rhythmic way. So I'm not going to do that. I can't sing. I can't do any of those artistic things. So I'm hiring a coach. I've got a program I'm going to go through. It's a six-week program. I've got a coach much younger than me. He's been successful on TikTok and he's going to teach me what he does. That's what I'm doing. I've got a LinkedIn coach. I've had two of them. I'm taking two LinkedIn courses. I want to learn how to grow my reach. I want to learn these platforms. You got to invest and into yourself and into your into coaches and courses to be able to really to create, you know, anything that you really want to do faster. Yeah. And I think um, and the big takeaway, obviously, I call it the financial intelligence mindset. I think the big thing that we're hearing here is that for someone who wants to grow their wealth, who wants to grow their finances, they've got to have the mindset of wanting to invest in themselves. And they've got to have, the, they've got, they've got to have the understanding that the, the, the best return that you can get is by investing in yourself. Not, not to take your money and invest in something physical. Invest in your know-how. Invest in your education. I really like that. Yeah, because... Roy, when people come to me and they say, I have 2000 or $5,000 or $10,000 to invest, what should I do? The reason why I say none is because they don't have an investing problem. They have an income problem. They're not generating enough income to keep enough to invest in all likelihood. They could be yeah. the type where 
they're making a couple hundred thousand a year and they're keeping up with the Joneses. So they're spending everything that they have. And that's why they have little that could be possible for those people. They got to get they got to get in control of their emotions and their desire to living above the means or even at their means. Right. So that to me is the most important fundamental concept is are you really thinking about increasing your own skills and ability to earn more money versus what do I do with my money? The bigger return you're going to get is increasing your skills. I agree. I mean, yeah, I mean, what you're saying, there's so much. I mean, you talk about earlier number like the rich dad poor dad scenario and that you actually kind of grew up in that uh, environment you can say that right and um, and if if anyone, if anyone reads uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad they'll actually understand that what Robert Robert Kiyosaki the author was actually saying is that the rich don't work for money the rich work for skills they work for know how the ability yeah. the ability to leverage the ability to 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 you know to to leverage time money other people resources. So they work for skill set, you know. So I think more and more people, if they they acquired money from working, but they use that money to acquire more skills, eventually they become so skillful that they will work for much more money. And you know what I mean? And it's kind of a, a perpetual process, right? That the more skills you have, um, then the more you're able to do with that skills, you'll be able to become more resourceful, you're able to come have more money. Um, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, the rich don't work for, they don't look for work. You know, they build a network. Yeah, I like that. Everybody else <laughs> looks for work. So when I, the reason why I was able to do um, 5 million in cash real estate sales quickly, right out of the gate in my real estate company that I hadn't even set up yet <laughs> was because of my network. My network knew, liked, and trusted me, and that was it. I had a I had a really good Rolodex of connections. Now, what happened was the guy that I referred them to ended up, you know, being a, a shyster, and he screwed him over. I took money out, all the profits that I made from, you know, a lot of those people's sales. I took them all out of my pocket and I used it to fix up their properties and fix the problems and get them made whole. Why? Because I value my name over dollars. If you value your name and you value your network, then you'll always be able to find opportunity. You'll always be able to figure out what your next play is going to be. I love it. I love it. Cool. So let's go on to more on the wealth mindset. Because I mean, you have indestructible wealth behind you. Of course, we'll be going to speak about that shortly. But what does... um? Um, in your own words, what, what, what does a wealth mindset mean to you? Someone who has a wealth mindset versus someone who has a, a broke mindset. Yeah, well, a wealth mindset, the way I think of it is that you could give both people, two different people, one with a wealth mindset, one with a poor mindset. You could hand them both a million dollars. And then if you check back with them in five years, five you're, going to, you're going <laughs> to see dress. You know, I was yeah, I was going to say, oh, five days. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. It could be even quicker, but let's just go five years <laughs> out just to yeah. be safe. <laughs> yeah. the, the wealthy person is going to have 
used that and they would have done courses, seminars and hired coaches, and they're going to increase their skills. And they're going to be a different human being in terms of their knowledge and ability. They're going to have cash flow producing assets. They're going to have real estate. They're going to have good quality stocks that, you know, have a chance to change the world. They're going to have, um, they're going to have assets. The, the, the other side, the poor mentality is they're going to have a bunch of liabilities. They're going to go out and they're going to buy an expensive car. They're going to buy the biggest house that they can possibly buy. They're going to buy expensive clothes, watches. They're going to buy all things that are liabilities or depreciating assets. So what's going to happen though, is going to be then the next five years after that is really going to be telling because the person that bought assets or essentially bought income out of with the first million, they're going to be able to buy all of those things and it's not even going to affect them at all because their income just continually replenishes over and over. Whereas the other person is probably bankrupt, which, which happens to 98% of all lotto winners that got the million dollars that didn't have a wealth mindset. They bought a bunch of stuff that, you know, didn't create any cash flow, weren't assets. They were all liabilities. And then bam, they can't replenish that. They don't have the skills to replenish that money. If you took everything away from me, Roy, all my net worth, everything, I'd have it back. Maybe not in five years. That that could be a challenge. I'd have it all back in a decade. I, I know that for sure. Well, it's amazing you said that, right? Because as you were speaking um, earlier on, because I listen to a lot of different people like you, like listen podcasts, I have certain mentors I've never met. And it is a guy in America, I don't know if you heard of him, his name is Keith Cunningham, right? Sure, um, love him. Yeah, yeah. And um, and he actually lost a hundred million and and he made it back. Yep. Right. Uh, I think um some people would 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 if they lost a hundred million, they would be lost forever, they'll be gone. You know, what I mean that's because maybe it was old money, they inherited it. But if you can if if you have the know-how to create a hundred million. I think that you can create 100 million, you know what I mean? So it's a big thing, you know, that to be able to recreate wealth. Um, yeah, look. I'm not on that level yet, for sure. But <laughs> I loved I loved his story because he was very transparent about what happened and what led to it. And a lot of it, he just admits where we were very cocky. We were very uh, egocentric and that we thought we had arrived. We thought we knew it all. And so it created a lot of blind spots for us where there were things that we just weren't seeing that we should have seen had we had our heads on and our emotions on straight and weren't so greedy. I like that. And that's exactly what you said. So um, just coming to wrap up, but still just quite a few things. I mean, you are a very, very, very interesting guy to speak to. You know, um, I, I really love speaking to you because a lot of things that, that you spoke about um, it's about your emotions, managing your emotions. I always say wealth is a matter of managing your emotions, you know. And you spoke a lot about financial, financial, uh, not financial, emotional intelligence. You know what I mean? Sure. And, how I, and I always ask people this question on the podcast. I mean, I did ask you what is the wealth mindset. But I will ask you in your mind, what, what do you think is the kind of uh, um, the word financial intelligence mean? And, and how important is that uh, to you? And running your business. Here's an example of financial intelligence. So there's here's what the the poor, the average, 
and the great or sophisticated investor does when they buy an asset and the price drops relatively, you know, quickly from the time that they bought it. Okay. So the response is more an emotional response than it is anything else. So the poor investor, which was me back in college, I explained the dot-com bubble crash hit and my equities dropped 50%. They panic sell. Okay. So they didn't know what they bought in the first place because they Mm -hmm. didn't do their research. They didn't understand the true value of what they had. They were just buying something because it was going up and they saw other people that were making money with it. And so FOMO, right? Fear of missing out, hit them so hard internally that they then had to be, they wanted to be a part of it. And usually buying things on the way up or when they've gone up quite a bit is not usually the recipe for long-term success. So the average investor would just hold. So they, they just hold on. They know what they bought. So they're confident in their in their bet, but they all they do is just hold, which is nothing wrong with that. You can be an average investor and do extremely well. The great investor, the sophisticated investor, they buy more <laughs> because they understand what they bought, they understand the value, they understand the long-term play that they're that they're making. They love the asset for the what it's going to be at five years, 10 years from now, right? They love the management, they love the the intrinsic value. They love the cash flow that it's producing. They love everything about it. Okay. So they say, wow, what a great buying opportunity I have now. I can get the same asset, more of it at a discount. Boom. So they pull in from their liquidity sources and liquidity doesn't always have to be cash. Like for me, liquidity, I have a lot of liquidity in my whole life, high cash value insurance policy. So anytime that uh, something goes on sale, I can call my agent, boom, I can pull out of that and I can buy things on sale. I can go to my HELOC, which is normally people use those as an ATM machine, Roy, where they, they pull out their HELOC and then they do a kitchen remodel or they buy, they go on vacation or they buy something liability wise. I use my HELOC as a reserve liquidity so that when things go on sale, boom, I can go to the bank, have a cashier's check bam, that day I can start pouncing on things that go on sale. So that's financial intelligence to me is how do you handle buy process? Did you do your research and understand what you're buying? Because you make your money when you buy something. And then can you you have the fortitude to buy more of it when it drops in price? I love it. I love it. My man, this is is obviously music to my ears because obviously what, what we're talking about here is the whole fundamental analysis versus kind of, uh, I mean, it's basically logical versus emotional decisions, right? So uh, someone who is uh, an, uh, an average or, or not uh, less than average investor, price drops and he just uh, emotionally, he reacts. Yes. Someone, someone who has financial intelligence, they say, let's do the math. Let's evaluate this. And obviously they're, they're looking to, to buy low, sell high. So, they already knew that before it was already low when they bought, it's dropped even further or it dropped below where they bought, then it must be a good deal anyway because they've already done the analysis up front. So this, uh, this is a great bargain. And I think uh, Warren Buffett, and I mentioned him before on this uh, recording, uh, he himself, he says, do the opposite to what everyone else is doing, right? So that kind of makes sense, right? Because Absolutely. If, 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 if everyone is selling, 
there must be an opportunity there for you to buy. But again, okay. you, you've got to do your homework. So, all right. So let's talk about more, more about you and what you're doing right now with indestructible wealth. I mean, what is indestructible wealth? Um, and if someone wanted to work with you, I mean, how can they work with you? And I mean, how can they learn more from you? Yeah, it's a great question. It's a financial coaching platform, more kind of uh, sexy, appealing. It's a wealth strategy uh, program. That sounds more fun, right? So when I was looking at, you know, like all the different financial coaching and models that are out there, they seem to all, generally speaking, be hyper-focused on one asset class. And what I realized is that being all in on one asset class is a pretty tough proposition because inevitably winter will come for any asset class. It will, it will have a serious correction. So what I wanted to do in creating indestructible wealth for myself first is to make sure that I was invested in multiple asset classes. So I wanted to be understanding of real estate, of stocks, of cryptocurrency, of building private businesses, private money loans, like all the different assets that are out there, um, I wanted to be involved in and have a piece of equity in. So then I said, okay, how do I teach my younger audience how to get to this same point where they can in turn have essentially indestructible wealth? Now, not everything, there's nothing in life that's indestructible, right? So it's it's something that's really never uh, fully attainable. However, I put myself in a position where we have a, a financial fortress, a wall that's around our family that it's going to be very, very hard for anything to really penetrate that financial fortress. So that's what I want to, I want to, I want to teach. And I really honestly, uh, Roy, I want to teach people how to disrupt the narrative. They don't have to wait till they're 70 to retire and enjoy life and to have enjoy their money. My parents are in their 70s and they told me last week that all the their friends that are in their 70s are going through multiple different health disruptions. And so why would I want to wait until I'm in my 70s where there's a chance probably pretty good that I'm not going to be at my peak health and vitality when I want to enjoy my money right now. How do I enjoy my money right now? Well, I'm also thinking future oriented and thinking towards those retirement years. So that's what my platform's about. How to fire, you know, financially independent, retire early. That's that's what I'm teaching. I'm financially retired. Now, does that doesn't mean that I'm work retired. I work hard. I work 40, 50 hours a week, most weeks still, but it's because I'm doing what I love. I wake up in the morning and I can't wait to go to work. Do I want to go out golfing? Yes. I'm going to do that here after this podcast today. Okay. I love doing that, but that's not like my sole purpose of like waking up to go out and play. I want to create value. I want to be fulfilled. I want to teach other people what I think is, in my opinion, the way, the right way to do it. Good, good, good. Wow, I'm really excited for you. And um, I said at the outset, it was really, really great to have you in here. Now, what is your platform? I mean, if, if someone is on the internet, where can yeah. they look at your platform? I mean, where can Absolutely. they find out more? Yeah. Great question. Thank you. I have a podcast called Indestructible Wealth with Jack Gibson. 
it's a, a five rated show. I'm on the same amount of episodes as you right now. We're just hitting 31. <laughs> yeah. So that's awesome. Uh, ironic, but congrats to you. And yeah. you know, just so you know, Roy, and for the listeners out there, my downloads aren't incredible. You know, I'm, I'm not tearing it up by any stretch on how many downloads that I'm getting. I am on an upward trajectory. When I look at my stats, I'm growing. That's number one. That's what's really important. But here's what I found interesting. Uh, 14% of all podcasts, Roy, that get launched only do one episode. And half, 50% of all episodes never make it past 14 episodes. So you, just by showing up consistently, you are, you've outlasted, you are more successful than 50% of all podcasters who ever grab a mic, record, and launch. That is, and I'm telling the li your listeners that showing up consistently, you're going to beat every, not everybody, but that's the first starting point. You're going to beat a lot of high percentage of people out there just by showing up. So if you guys like what I've had to share, you can follow me on uh, Instagram. I post a lot on stories and reels there. It's just indestructible wealth. I'm on TikTok. I have a very, very small following, but I'm going to grow that as I learn the platform. And then um, LinkedIn, I'm very active. I post daily on LinkedIn as well. It's it's Jack Gibson there. So uh, as far as working with me, I don't have a product as of this recording. I know this is evergreen, so people will listen to this uh, two months, three months down the road. I do have a um, course that I'm building um, a financial uh, education wealth strategy course, essentially, on all things, make it, keep it, and grow it. And then I will be also uh, doing one-to-one -one coaching, although um, I think that's going to be probably out of most people's price range. So their best bet is when my course launch launches, they'll be able to get in at that at a very affordable price. Man, uh, I mean, look, uh, I think there's a lot that we can do together, um, just from listening to you and what you're doing. Um, just what you said there, this make it, keep it, grow it. Uh, my program that I actually have, uh, which, which inside my, my academy, I think we call it the FBI Academy, which is Finance, Business and Investing Academy. I love it. And FBI, it's so great. <laughs> yeah. And I teach people how to make more money, how to manage the money better, and how to multiply the money. So acquiring ideas. Everything. They, yeah. they got everything they need with you right here. They just yeah, they, yeah, yeah. The yeah. But but I quite like uh, in terms of what you do and your knowledge and your background. That's why I think podcasting thing is also it's also sharing knowledge with people. I think it also open up opportunities for collaboration because now we build a relationship. Now we can work together, right? Yeah. So if, so if there is someone out there as well who is listening to the podcast who wants to start a podcast, of course, um, both Jack and I are on episode. Uh, Tattoo one, if you start, and uh, you can do it as well. So I, I just actually plugged that in there. And Jack, well done to you as well for, I think, not just creating wealth, but for wanting to share your knowledge and wanting to uh, share. I think many people can create wealth, but not, not many people can teach people how to create wealth. So I, I wish, yeah, so I, I wish you and massive, think, massive success. Quiet. Thank you. I think so many people out there are, that are teaching or telling people how to create wealth have not done it for themselves. And that's a major problem. Who are you taking advice from? I'm not taking advice on physical fitness from somebody who hasn't gotten physically fit and in shape and made progress themselves. I'm not taking marriage advice from somebody who's been married for a year 
and they think that they've got it all figured out. I want the people that have been through the ringer, they're 10 years, 15 years in and have a successful marriage. It's to me, it's the same thing with building wealth. You got to look at, you know, who are you taking advice from? Do they have, they created what it is that you want to create? So you're an awesome example uh, for all of your uh, listeners, Roy, and they need to take your course. Yeah, thank you, thank you, Jack. And say to you, Jack, I wish you massive success. Like, um, do keep in touch, and um, I'm sure that we can uh, learn a lot from each other as we yes. as we as we journey together. So, look, That's right. um, I'm not going to keep you much longer. So I try to keep it to an hour. I think we've been going. Well, I think it's been four to five minutes. It's been so interested. Now we've been going for about an hour. Oh, wow. Uh, I, I, mean, I can't I would, believe it. It went by yeah, quick. So. Yeah, yeah. I would obviously love to have you on again sometime in the future. Um, maybe, when sure. your, maybe when your courses are launched. And um, Yeah, yeah. yeah Thank yeah, you yeah. So, so much for having me. It was a pleasure to be on your show. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah man. Thanks a lot. So look, look after yourself and, um, and we'll be in touch soon. That sounds great. Thank you very much for listening to my podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. You can find out more about me by Googling my name, Royston Cumberbatch. I'm on all the social media, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can find me on YouTube as Roy Cumberbatch. And if you are listening on YouTube, please hit that uh, subscribe button. Or you can find me on my website at www.ratmac.com. That's R-A-C-M-A-C-S dot com. It'd be great to hear from you. And do feel free to tell me about any topics you want me to cover on future episodes. Until next time, be good to yourself and others. Keep positive and reaching for your financial goals. Bye-bye.